We started last week a series called Uncanceled. And I'm going to preface it by saying not everything in scripture is going to be culturally popular. And when I want to say that, uh, it, you may be thinking, well, sure, for some people that vote a certain way, it's not going to. I'm talking on both sides of the aisle. Sometimes scripture is unpopular to us. Because, because the Bible doesn't have a political affiliation or a favorite news channel or anything. It's the word of God. And so if we're looking into it correctly, like a mirror, regardless of our political affiliation, it's going to challenge us no matter what. Amen. And so in the next month and a half or so, we're going to be walking through what it's like uh, to stand up for what you believe in and and godly principles in a culture you don't recognize anymore. This is not the 50s. We're not blue laws where, where things are closed on Sunday. You just, everybody goes to church and then you go home and eat pot roast. Which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Daniel in an instant woke up a culture he didn't recognize. And we can learn a lot of great lessons uh, from this book. And, uh, and we're going to do that over the next uh, month or so. And so I want you to lean in. If I offend you today, uh, sort of kind of apologize up front. Yeah. Come back next week and I'll make sure to do it on purpose. So why don't you stand to your feet? Daniel chapter one, verse three. We're going to start. We're going to read a little bit of what we read last week and then continue to read a little bit past that. So Daniel chapter one, verse three, you can find it on the screen or in your Bible or on your phone in the Bible app. And you can also find notes on the Bible app under events and you can go to the Hope Community Church app and also find them there. So say amen if you're ready. Daniel chapter one, verse three, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. Youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. Hey. I was just checking what kind of crowd we got this morning. You guys are the sober type. Okay. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. And Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who has assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away the food, their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Yummy. (laughs) Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, it is a fact that we continue to wake up every morning in a culture that seems to be drifting farther and farther away from you. But in that drift, your calling on our life is no different. We're still empowered by your Holy Spirit to make disciples. So we pray this morning that you would enlighten us a little bit how to do that better with Daniel's life. Teach us this morning, Lord. And we pray that as a result of us being together, you'd be glorified and more people would come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Last week we did the little history lesson of how this all, this circumstance came about. Talked about the 10 northern tribes of Israel splitting off over a tax and labor argument going with another king. And in about 50 years or so after that happened, they are conquered by the Assyrians, never to be seen again. They never reemerge as a people group. The two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, that stay with with that king, Rehoboam, make it another 135 years or so. And then as a punishment for their uh, turning away from God, God allows Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to take siege, to lay siege on Jerusalem and take it. It was brutal. Talked last week about the Babylonian culture and how not just ungodly, but godless, pagan it was. And it was a brutal culture. Matter of fact, if you fast forward into the New Testament, the term Babylon basically means everything representing evil. So there was four exiles. There was four times that the Babylonians go back into Jerusalem, round people up and bring them to to Babylon. Talked last week about how that was about a 700 mile trek. So from Jerusalem to what now is current day Iraq, They would march people back to Babylon. In the first exile, Daniel is scooped up along with some people of royalty and nobility. Daniel comes from a noble family and and he is scooped up with some other young teenagers and they take him there for re-education purposes. Uh, They're trying to wipe them clean of of Jewish culture or anything related to worshiping the one true God. So they're going to give them new names. They're going to teach them a new language. They're going to steep them in Chaldean culture. They're basically going to give them an advanced bachelor degree, three years in Chaldean culture. They're going to, they're going to teach them all the ways of their land. We talked about responding to that last week. Today, I want to engage you on, um, are taking a stand. We um, 
I made it a principle of my life, I don't know, a few years back, uh, for it to be very hard to be offended. And uh, I want to let you know the results of that. I sleep easier. Do you realize it takes a lot of energy to be offended all the time? It just takes a lot of energy to be offended all the time. And so I'm not as tired because I'm not offended. And I like saying now, like, uh, I mean, you could try, but you're not going to offend me. And it'll be fun watching you try. You are the one in control of whether something offends you or not. Only you. Nobody else gets to decide that for you. You're the one that gets to control whether you're offended or not. And, and I, need you to let, I need to let you in on a little bit of a secret that maybe you are aware of. The nightly news, they're actually paying people to offend you. Yeah. They say, hey, you two people who ordinarily hang out together, let's be honest, ordinarily hang out together, we want you to get on TV and now fight like cats and dogs over whatever issue, you fill in the blank, because then we can raise the anxiety level of everybody watching and offend them. And then, and then we walk away paying for it. Oh, think about this. We pay to sit in front of the TV to be offended. We should rework the formula. And so what we have is we have a culture of Americans that are everybody's running around being offended by everything. It's just in us. If you're in traffic, beeping the horn offended because somebody pulled in front of you. Maybe they'll be the first ones to the accident. So I'm not going to get offended. I've traveled enough to know that we're the only country that I've ever been to that used the horn as a cuss word. No, the culture's like that. If you beep a horn in front of Lowe's, the immediate response is you're getting it. If I'm in, if I'm in Nairobi and beep a horn, people are waving like, hey man, thanks for letting me know. Beep, beep, I'm back here. Beep, beep, it's your turn. Beep, beep, coming under, I'm coming up on your left. Beep, beep, sunny. It's just, there's horns beeping everywhere. If you beep a horn in Martinsburg, you're, you can get your tires slashed while you're driving. We're offended. We just walk around offended. And the, the worst part is offended Christians. You know how it starts out, oh, I can't believe they're doing that. Yeah, and we have this little First Amendment thing in the United States where we get to say it all out loud. Yeah. And we start to bemoan the culture and we're, oh, offended. It strikes me that Daniel is carried off against his will, against the country's will, into exile, into a land that is as godless as it can possibly be. And if we're trying to compare the United States to Babylon, it's not even close. Babylon wouldn't have churches. Babylon wouldn't have meetings like this. 
It's not even a, it wouldn't even be a fair comparison to say we are currently sitting under the same, same type of situation that Daniel's sitting in. So everything I'm getting ready to say should be easier for us. Yeah. Because we do have some rights here in the United States. So it should actually be easier for us than it was Daniel. And we should be less offended than Daniel was. But with all that said, we are not waking up in Mayberry anymore. We talked last week about how our culture is rapidly evolving, drifting into a goddess. We live in a post-Christian world. The more people we engage, the more people we realize did not grow up with Sunday school as their Sunday morning activity. That when you start saying, well, the Bible says there is no reference point for the Bible says. So it doesn't carry any weight. It's like walking up to somebody who has never read the Bible, never even entertained that the Bible could be accurate, never entertained that it would even be the, 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 the inspired word of God. Never, never even considered it and then using it as the foundation for why they should change their life. Daniel was in that culture. There was no Babylonians running around going, hey man, I remember growing up in Sunday school. The Nebuchadnezzar came, Nebuchadnezzar came along. There wasn't, there wasn't that culture. So Daniel is in an absolute godless culture. But trying to manage holding on to godly values. Ooh. They're going to come headlong into each other pretty quick. Pretty quick. So Daniel's about 14 years old. Smart, smart guy. Him and his three buddies. The Bible narrative singles them out as examples of what to do when you're in this this circumstance. So, So Daniel and his buddies are about 14 years old. They're in a group of other young men who are being re-educated into the Chaldean culture. And, and what was included in that, as we have said, your name got changed. Your education started. You started getting taught a new language and a new governmental structure and a, a new way to think about God. Because there wasn't one God, there was many gods. There was all this pagan rituals they were taught. And then, and then on top of that, you got fed a different dietary program. Okay. So this may be new to some of you, but if you go back to um, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you find that when God led the people out of Egypt into their own land, that he set up some rules on how to have culture. Like when you start governing yourself, when you start living on your own, this is the way, this is how I want you to live. And part of that was a dietary structure. I want, God wanted them to be healthy. Amen. So there were certain things he said, don't eat this, eat this. (laughs) I'm glad I don't live in the old Testament. One of those things was they didn't eat pork. Oh. I still can't get over that. There were certain birds they didn't eat. There were certain animals they didn't eat. It, it, it wasn't that they didn't eat meat. It was that 
It was that there were certain things they didn't eat because it carried diseases. It wasn't, it wasn't clean. And so God was ensuring. I mean, you do realize God knows everything. So he knows that pork carries some disease if you don't cook it all the way through. Amen. So God is setting up the perfect scenario for his people to live whole lives. And he walks through every circumstance, including what they eat. So now Daniel has been raised up to 14 year olds, 14 years old in that culture of this is what you eat and this is what you don't eat. And and Jews never eat that stuff. We wouldn't defile ourselves with that. So now he's whisked away, marched 700 miles into this brand new pagan culture that doesn't give a rip about Jewish dietary laws. All they care about is fattening these kids up. Sounds like America. So the plan was, we will feed these, this special group of young men who we want to train into people that can help lead government. We want them to be work for us. So we want them, we want to, they're going to eat what the king eats. So it could take meat from the king's table, wine from the king's table, and then we're going to feed them, get them fattened up. And, and this is going to be a good deal. And Daniel realizes, I can't eat all that. I'm kind of thinking he could smell the bacon waffling through the place in the morning and went, ah. (laughs) You know, the irony is, is that I don't, it wasn't that Daniel couldn't eat any meat. Matter of fact, it wasn't even that he couldn't drink wine. I know we're assemblies of God, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The problem scholars believe with this food was, even if it was kosher, is that it had been sacrificed to idols, to pagan gods. So in their ritualistic grilling sessions, they would sacrifice this meat or, or kill it and cook it as an offering up to pagan gods, and then they were serving it To young Jewish men who were forbidden to eat meat sacrificed to pagan gods. So Daniel decides, okay, this is where I'm going to take my stand. But there's a giant amount of irony here. Because this is the first thing we read about Daniel taking a stand. He doesn't, he doesn't argue about the literature they're asking him to read. He doesn't argue about the name change. He doesn't argue about the Chaldean culture being thrown at him. He doesn't argue about the re-education classes. He didn't argue about any of it. All of a sudden, what he's eating is it. So, um, sorry, thinking about that. Because American Christians can be offended about everything. Can't we? We can. Um, we can be offended by political parties. We can be offended by tax policy. We can be offended by school systems. We can be offended by a single teacher who ruins the whole school system. We can be offended by. We can be. We can make a boogeyman out of everything. Can't we? And we do it like this. Oh. That's a universal sign for. God's not happy with you. 
right? And we do our little boycotts and we do our little thing and we, we stand up in the street corner and tell everybody they're going to hell. I know you're not doing that, but you've seen people do it. It was intriguing to me that Daniel picked his fight. Now I'm going to fight as a loose term. He picked the thing that he was going to go, okay, this is, I'm not capitulating on this. He picked it. It wasn't everything that he was faced with. He didn't go on a hunger strike. He didn't say, you drug me here against my will and you're trying to indoctrinate me with all this pagan culture. I'm going to sit over here and not eat and I'm just going to die. He didn't do that. For all intent and purposes, he took the classes. For all intent and purposes, he, he went, okay, this is my new reality. But there is this one thing I'm not willing to do. So we're finding out that he picked the fight. He wasn't offended by everything that was going. He didn't walk around offended. He said, you know what? This is, this is a deeply held personal conviction of mine. And I would appreciate it if I didn't have to do that. Do you see that he didn't look at the pagan culture that had conquered them and said, you all are going to hell and you're going to figure it out sooner than later. As for me, I'm not eating your food. And I'm going to sit back and watch you all go to hell. And look at me, the righteous one. He didn't say that. It seems like he was unoffended by the whole thing. The church has to learn how to pick the right fight. We're going to get quiet for a little bit and that's fine. The church has to learn how to pick the right fight because if we fight about everything, no one will listen. Because here's what happens when the church fights about everything. We end up looking offended by everything. Yeah. Do you realize that Jesus did not fight some battles? You never see Jesus fighting a political fight. No, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't say, well, I went to church this day and the pastor's so wishy-washy. He doesn't want us in politics and he doesn't care. He doesn't care when they win and they're going to ruin the church. No emails. Don't read into that that I did not say vote. Don't read into that that I did not say contribute. Don't read into that that I did not say be active in your community. Don't read into that statement anything other than what I said. Don't fight. During the political uh, election, when was that anyway? Five years ago? I remember being on the radio several times and, you know, that was the topic of discussion. And I remember it keeps saying, I have to care about people past their political affiliation. So if I'm going to fight with them, it's not going to be about that. We can disagree because of personal convictions, but the minute I start caring more about how you voted and less about your eternal soul, I lost. And so did you. So Jesus never picked a fight about politics. Never. He even had a religious zealot on his team. A guy who was like militant politically. And Jesus never went, hey man, let's get into a good conversation about them dirtball Romans. 
Yeah. He didn't. You saw Jesus picking the fight. He wouldn't even let people goad him into a fight. It was awesome to watch. Somebody tried to get him to goad him into a tax fight. (laughs) Anyone had one of those recently? Mark chapter 12, verse 17. Jesus said to them, he's holding a coin. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And the Bible says this in Mark chapter 12, verse 17. And they marveled at him. We tried to goad him into a fight, whether it's right for Jewish believers to give taxes to Caesar. And Jesus sat there and went, I don't know. Hey, why I came? You pick your tax rate. I don't care. You pick it. Your tax rate isn't sending anybody to hell or heaven. Now, it might cause me to be able to buy a better car, but it's not going to affect anybody for eternity. So I'm going to let you pick. And if it's got Caesar's name on it, give it to him. Yeah. And everybody sat around and went, can you believe this guy? Everybody's having the argument about taxes. Everybody's having the argument about the Romans. And he's not going to have the argument. He's just like, hey, if that's the, if that's the thing, that's the thing. Jesus picked the battles. Not everything was a heaven or hell fight. <laughs> I could just feel like I'm making somebody mad right now. So you got to decide for yourself what battles you're called to fight. And I can tell you emphatically, it's not all of them. It's not. Because here's the deal. If you fight all of them, nobody will want to hang around you. Because you will fight with everybody at some point in time. Because I could tell you this as a fact. You're the only one on the planet that thinks exactly like you do. Yeah. Go ahead and pat pat yourself on the back. You're pretty unique. So here's the deal. Jesus didn't fight every battle like that, and neither, neither did Daniel. Daniel reads the books, takes the name change. He, what, what choice does he have? He didn't have a whole lot of choice here. But then when he gets to the food, he does this little thing where he goes, hey, What do you think about me not eating that? That doesn't even sound like a fight, does it? That doesn't sound like he's standing up for his rights. That doesn't sound like he's, it sounds like he's posing a question, doesn't it? Yeah, posing a question, posing a question. Okay, let me, let me give you a little Old Testament comparison because the Bible is accurate, but your application of it can be devastating. Everybody understand that? Not every story in the Bible is applicable to every one of your circumstances. So here's what we do in our culture right now. Instead of applying the Daniel principle, we apply the David principle. Because it would be a lot better that everybody that disagreed with the church just disappeared. Yeah, that would make it easy. Hey, I disagree with you. Oh, Or we just force them to agree with us, kind of like the Babylonians did with Daniel. 
And then the church becomes the dictatorship. Watch what happens. There's the David mentality that I don't believe is applicable to our circumstance right now in America. And then there's the Daniel mentality. Okay, what's the David mentality? David is a teenager. He's already been anointed to be king of Israel. And he's working out this process. And he shows up because Israel is is in war with the Philistines. And there's this big dude named Goliath. And Goliath walks up to the front line. And Goliath says, hey, you pick your guy to come fight me. And whoever wins gets to run the show. Well, guess what? Saul, the current king, and every other fighting age man in Israel was terrified of this guy. Nine feet tall, his sword was bigger than I could pick up, and it was just a, it was a train wreck. Little David comes running up from tending the sheep. His dad sends him up here, check on your brothers on the front line. He runs up, check on his brothers on the front line, and they're all sitting back, chilling. Nobody's going to fight this guy. And he's coming out every morning spewing obscenities towards God. And David comes out and he says, hey, how are you letting him do this? How are you letting him talk like this about God's people? How can you let them say these things about God? And everybody's like, David, man. You can get yourself beat up here. Bad. He's not backing down. He ain't going to do this. This is not how this is going to turn out. And so all of a sudden, it gets all the way up to the king. Saul says, hey, who's, who's this young guy running around talking about fighting Goliath? So he brings him up in front. Of, they bring him up in front of the king Saul. And Saul says, hey, if you're going to go out there, bro, you might want to put some armor on. And it doesn't fit. And some of you know that story. And so David walks out to Goliath with a five rocks and a slingshot. He hits the dude, the nine foot giant between the eyes, knocks him out. And in the most ironic thing in the Bible, pulls out the guy's giant sword and lops his head off with it. Yeah. Couldn't you see Mel Gibson in that role? Okay. As David, not the giant. Sorry. Um, Okay. Here's what we do. Here's what we do. When we get in, when we decide as Christians to stand up for something that God has put in us, we have a tendency to turn to the David mentality that we have to defeat those who oppose what God put in us. But we don't live in the Old Testament anymore. We live in an era where Jesus came to die for those people, those very people who are disagreeing with you. And Jesus went to the cross saying, I would that none would perish, but all inherit eternal life. He went to the cross saying for those that were killing him, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And so what we do is we plot, we apply the Davidic rule of kill your enemies in a time where we should be applying the Daniel rule of let's give favor with them. It was slow, but we'll take it. Listen, the person that disagrees with you politically is not something that is not someone that needs to be eliminated. The person that disagrees with the way you're raising your kids isn't somebody that needs to be eliminated or even afraid of. I doubt your neighbor is nine foot tall running out every morning going, come out here and fight me. 
I mean, I'd recommend moving. (laughs) But Christians can put a boogeyman under anything. We can put a boogeyman everywhere. There's a boogeyman in the school system. Well, there's probably two or three of them. But if we run around offended every day, you're going to have no say in anything. So we're just setting up Goliaths trying to knock them down. Setting up Goliaths trying to knock them down. Oh, it's the tax policy. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. It's abortion. It's this, it's that. Do I agree with abortion? Absolutely not. But how can I gain any influence screaming at people dealing with it? It's not a boogeyman to knock down. It's not an enemy to defeat. So Daniel, you'll notice, is not looking at at his captors as someone to defeat, he's looking at them as someone to gain favor with. Oh. You're like, okay, we can leave now. I didn't know he was going there. Listen. Actually, here's what it says. Favor comes first. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Look at that again. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God gave Daniel favor and compassion. Favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Ashpenaz liked him. He liked him. Now, now some, somewhere in our warped Christian minds, we got the idea that we could be jerks to everyone And God will still give us favor with those same people. I wouldn't raise my kids that way. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. Your kids aren't coming to my house because my kids know better. We'll see. We'll see. And we stand up on these soapboxes and we, you know, that won't happen in my, that won't, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And you know, we can't hang out anymore and we can't do this and we can't do that. And, And then all of a sudden we want favor with those same people. It ain't going to happen. God doesn't give favor to jerks. That's like a little rule of mine. You're a jerk. So I know the favor of God is not on you. Ha ha. Life is easy. You know what? I have a feeling Daniel excelled at what they gave him to do. He didn't complain about it every day. By the way, if you proclaim Christ in your job and you're the one that goes to work and complains about it every day, stop talking about Jesus. The two are incongruent. They don't match. They don't fit together. You can't be, we can't be adversarial to everybody and then expect to find favor with those same exact people. Because one day we're going to have to stand up for something and we're going to want favor from the people who are going to allow us to stand up for it. Oh, here we go. This is where it gets really complicated. Daniel had a personal conviction. And listen to me when I tell you this. In our culture, whatever you, whenever you read the Bible and apply it to your life, the outside culture looks at that as a personal conviction. That's it. They're not seeing it as this is what God told us all to do. It's just a personal conviction to them. Okay, that's the way you do it. I do it a different way. They don't see it as right and wrong. They don't see it as this is uh, eternity matters. They just don't see it that way. So Daniel figures out what they're going to feed him. 
So he goes to the chief of the eunuchs and he says, hey man, listen. Actually, it was a, it was a guy under him that was set over him. And he, and he said, hey, hey, listen to me, listen to me. If you don't mind, I know this is a big ask. But if you don't mind, could you just bring us some water and some vegetables? Just bring us water and vegetables. I don't even know if he went into a long explanation of why he couldn't eat it. If you don't mind, bring us some water and vegetables. The next statement is that verse we just read. And God gave him favor and, and compassion from those people. So that tells me Daniel's reputation up to that point enabled him to ask something. He had a good reputation with the people around him that didn't believe anything that he believed. Can I, by the way, can I tell you, you can disagree with somebody and then them still hold you in high esteem if you do it well. Amen. Amen? That you can raise your kids different and your, and your, and your neighbors not, not, not think you're crazy if you do it the right way. You can still have favor with people who don't think like you if you do it in a godly way. It's not one or the other. How in the world are we going to convince people that Jesus died for them if we can't find favor with them? And over and over again in scripture it says God will give you favor with him and man. In the Old Testament we read it before this, Joseph, the same exact thing happens with Joseph. His, his brothers sell him into slavery and he, he ends up at a guy named Potiphar's house, an Egyptian. Joseph could have been like, man, I ain't doing none of this. Nope. The Bible says that he worked hard and he did the right. He just kept. And the Bible says that everything he touched worked out for this guy Potiphar. To the point where Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household. And it says the only thing he worried about was what he was going to eat. I'm trying to find me a Joseph. Think about it. Somebody that excels at stuff, does stuff so well that you don't have to worry about anything. That was the story of Joseph. That's the story of Daniel. Why do you think they found favor with people? It wasn't some, they were a jerk and then God all of a sudden supernaturally gave them favor. No, it was because of their work ethic and the way they treated people and the way they talked to people and the way they handled them. Even people who disagreed with everything they thought. Are you going to sell me into slavery? Watch this. I'll be better than everybody else. You're going to throw a curveball at my life? I'm going to be in exile. Watch this. I'm going to be better than everybody else. So you know what? A Christian that professes God that is lazy and doesn't show up to work on time. If I'm going to profess Christ as my savior, I should be better than everybody else. I should be unoffendable. I should be the hardest worker. I should be the one. Because if I'm going to find favor with them later... So he finds favor with them. And then he does this little thing that I thought was unique. He never demands, he asked. Man, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to have a conversation with somebody and they just said, hey man, what do you think about this? I have a feeling Daniel knew the position he was putting this guy in. Has it ever crossed your mind that your personal biblical conviction could put somebody else 
in a tight spot. It could. Like we're sitting down telling people what's right and what's wrong, but maybe they're from a family who's never even considered that. Maybe they have a spouse that doesn't want to it, that wouldn't even entertain anything like that. Maybe, maybe it's a young person with parents who would never entertain anything. And all of a sudden we're telling them this is right and this is wrong. And you should never do this again. And this da, 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 da. And all of a sudden we're putting them in a pinch. Well, this happens. This happens. And so Daniel finds favor with him. And then he does a simple thing of asking. He just asks. And he asks with understanding. Therefore, he asks the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He asks. He doesn't say, I'm, this is the way it's going to be. I will never defile myself with your filthiness. He says, hey, listen, can I, can I ask you something? We got some specific diet things we adhere to as Jews. Would you mind just skipping the wine and the meat? Just give us some water and vegetables. No big deal. Give us some water and vegetables. Be a great favor to me. He asked him with understanding. Now listen. Daniel knew he was putting this guy in a tough spot. So verse 10, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the King who has assigned your food and your drink for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head. Is it a possibility that our personal convictions could cause problems for other people? Even if they're godly personal convictions. Could cause problems, big problems. Daniel understands this. He didn't say, I don't care about you. I gotta stand for my rights. I gotta stand for my, I gotta stand for what God called me to. I can't do this. And if it causes you problems, I don't care. He didn't say that. What he said was this. Verse 11. Do you have it? Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Go to the next one. Oh, I love this part. You see, wouldn't it be easier if we could just make everybody follow the rules? Some of your personality types just went, rules? I love rules. If we can make everybody follow the rules, life would be perfect. You could start with my husband. And then my kids. And then the neighbors. And then my boss. And then when everything lined up perfectly, the way I see the world. Now I've got some of your attention. Jesus cared about people deeper than that. And so did Daniel. Daniel says, hey, if it's possible, could you bring us some vegetables and water? Because of these restrictions that we have as Jews. The guy expresses his concern. He says, listen. If you start losing weight, it's going to be my head on the chopping block, not yours. Can you imagine just that statement right there? The guy who is from there could be in more trouble because of Daniel's conviction than the guy who was exiled to there. (laughs) That blows me away. 
He says, listen, my head could be on the chopping block if you guys lose a lot of weight. So what's Daniel's, what's Daniel's solution to the whole thing? He doesn't say, you're wrong, just give it to us. He doesn't say that. This is the hardest part for us as believers. This is the hardest part. The band's going to come up. We're going to end with this. This is the hardest part. Are you ready for it? Daniel says, let's just try it. What do we got to lose? Let's just try it. Let's just try it. What if we stopped telling people they were wrong and started asking people to try it? What do you got to lose? Daniel's solution was this. Hey, why don't we try it for 10 days? Try it for 10 days. 10 days. And then if it doesn't work, you pick. How unoffensive is that anyway? How unoffensive? Daniel asked... This is a personal conviction of mine. It's what God asked me to do. And so I'm coming to you. If I found favor with you, I'm coming to you asking you for a favor. Let us just eat water, eat, eat vegetables and drink water. Let's just do that. And the guy expresses his concern. Hey man, I'm not sure it's going to work out good for me. I got a job. I got, I got bills. I got a head that I like attached. And if I start feeding you guys broccoli... I'm sure the guy was thinking, I ate broccoli and cauliflower there for about three weeks. I must die. Yeah. Every year we do the Daniel fast. It's like this close to death. He said, well, I'm not sure it's going to work out. Daniel says, just try it. No hard feelings. Because Daniel knew that God could prove himself. This is the problem in every Christian's heart right now living in the United States. We're not sure God can prove themselves. So it requires us to scream rather than stand back and go, let's just try it. And by the way, I'm not going to be upset with you if it doesn't work. Let's just try it. So he lays out the test. He doesn't demand anything. He lays out the test and he says, after 10 days, you get to pick what's better or what's worse. I have to believe Daniel in his heart of hearts went, God, this is a personal conviction that you gave me. I didn't make this up. And so now I'm giving you an opportunity. Daniel, as Daniel, I'm stepping back out of the way. I've been as nice as a human being could possibly be to anybody. You've given me favor with these people and you've treated me well. And so now I'm standing up for a conviction that you've given me. I've asked. And now Daniel is going to step back out of the way and let you do what you do. And if we could understand that as modern day Christians, that is not worth arguing. But just stand back. I've asked. I presented a solution. And now I'm going to stand back and let God prove himself. I understand how it would be hard for you to believe that. I understand how it would be hard for you to change that. I understand how that could make you make some problems for you. I get it. But here's what I'm going to ask. Try it. And as sure as I'm standing here, I believe the God of the universe loves you enough to prove himself to you. And I don't have to get in an argument. And here's the best verse in this whole section. Stand to your feet. I'm going to leave you with this. (laughs) You, You do realize that if you 
encourage people. Hey, you're dealing with anxiety and you don't know what to do and fear in your life. Listen, I want you to just try it. I want you to wake up in the morning and cast all of your cares on him because it says he cares for you. I'm not going to ridicule you. I know that you've never, I know that you've never done this before and it may seem weird and I don't even care if you sit in a little pose with your feet crossed. I don't care. As long as you cast your cares on him, just try it. Here's the beautiful part. God is big enough to prove himself. Amen. He's big enough to prove himself. And so when we just ask people, hey, God is a God you can experience. God is a God who can who can take away anxiety, who can take away fear. God is a God who can redeem relationships. God is a God who can do all the above. So why don't we just try it? And then at the end of this verse, it says this. Verse 16, so the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. I never thought that I would stand here and say on a Sunday morning that that was great. He took away all the good stuff they eat and gave them vegetables. But here's the proof. Once the world sees if the church could back up just a little bit, stop being offended and walk into the world and say, hey man, let's try it. Let's try it. I'm going to love you through this. I'm going to still be your friend. Let's just try it. And the church allowed God to prove himself in people's lives. Guess what? When they figure out it works, they change the diet. They figure out it works, they change the diet. God can prove himself. He doesn't need us yelling for it. As I'm yelling. He doesn't need us yelling for it. Amen? So we can walk out these doors right now and we can love on the person that disagrees us and we can find favor with the difficult boss. And we can, in the meantime and in the same time, stand up for what we believe and our personal convictions that come through the word of God and still have favor with people. I believe that God is setting us up to be able to do that. Amen. So can we give him honor and praise this morning? He is setting you up in your life to be able to do that.